This is Christian Questions. Arthur Ashe once said, True heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Kathy, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan. And folks, we're so glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine, beautiful Sunday morning. And, and Jonathan is out of town today. He and his beautiful wife, Jewel, are visiting his parents in Delaware. So, uh, as a matter of fact, I got a text from him before the program. He said he'll be listening in. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? We miss you, but Kathy's going to do a good job. <laughs> Lord willing. <laughs> so, uh, Kathy, what's happening this morning? What's our subject? Today's a special day. Today is a very special day, and we are talking about Jesus Lives. And our theme text is taken from Job 19.25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. And, folks, it was 2,000 years ago today, early in the morning, that the world changed. It was not the brash, outward change of a military coup, nor was it a treaty of the leaders of great nations to be lauded by the people. The world did not change because of some medical breakthrough or some magnificent discovery. No. The world changed because there was one tomb, just one tomb that was empty. It was a borrowed tomb given to a man who had no earthly possession, who just three days previous had been cruelly and unjustly tortured and crucified. This tomb was empty, and that meant that nothing would ever be the same. So today, folks, we're going to talk about the story of Jesus, crucifixion, and resurrection. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the blind say I can see. What the Lord has done in me. Today we want to tell you the story of the victory of Jesus over sin, death, and Satan. We want to tell you this story through the writing of a prophecy from about 1,000 years earlier. This prophecy, written by King David, was utterly miraculous in its accuracy and description, and could only have been so by the hand of God. For it not only depicted the anguish of Jesus on the cross, it also proclaimed 
his faithfulness, and the worldwide results of that faithfulness. This 22nd Psalm is divided into five segments. The first three are not happy or pleasant. So as we tell you about them, we will also remind you of the glorious end result. This psalm truly does unfold a world-changing drama. We'll begin our story with Jesus at the end of his earthly mission, unjustly accused, abused, and sentenced. If you were to watch these events unfold, you would have thought that darkness was claiming a resounding victory and that hope was now hopeless. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. The conversation continues next hour online and all through the week. Christian Questions is live Sunday mornings and on demand with tons of topics to to talk about featured in our audio archive, CQ Rewind, Facebook, our blog, and Twitter. The first five segments of the Psalm 22 deals with the necessary justice of God. The sin of Adam created a vortex of downward actions and reactions as Satan through sin has ruled our world with an iron grip. To release this grip, to break the shackles of darkness, a human life was required as the corresponding price for Adam. This life would of necessity have had to been a perfect life, as was Adam's, and would have had to have been worthy of life, as was Adam. This life would then have been capable of paying the ransom, the corresponding price for Adam in the sacrificing of its own life rights. With this offering, such a sacrifice would then be subject to the cruelty of sin, darkness, and degradation, for it voluntarily shouldered the weight of all of these things so the human race would have a new opportunity for life again. It is here that Psalm 22 begins, the first segment, the necessary judgment of God, verses 1 through 6. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, 
and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Folks, as we go through Psalm 22, um, if you'd like to make a comment, you can certainly call us at 866-985-4255, toll free 866-985-4ALL. Again, we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And and give your comments to our call screener, and we'll see if we can work them into our conversation. We won't take any on-air calls today. Uh, But we want to go through this psalm and look at it in terms of the experience of Jesus and see how remarkably uh, accurate and revealing it is. So, Kathy, as we begin, let's look at the verses. Let's start with, again, let's go back to Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Now, we can see a fulfillment of that, obviously, when Jesus is on the cross in Mark 15, 33 and 34. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, how do you say that? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Thank you. Which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that first phrase, my God, my God, literally, he's he's crying out, it's, it's, it's a mighty one. So he's crying out to the mighty one, the mighty one. And one of the interesting things about this is never before in Jesus' earthly ministry had he addressed God as anything but Father. So in this circumstance, you can see something is different. There's a, there's a different approach. He's in a different place than he'd ever been. So as we go through that and, and try to understand why that is, why is it that Jesus is in such a different place? Now, obviously, he's, he's being tortured on the cross. Psalm 42, verses 1 to 3. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul, sir, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And that psalm does remind me a little bit of the the, the situation Jesus was in, because he's there, he's on the cross, and uh, it says, Why have you forsaken me? Did God really abandon Jesus? I don't think so. So what does that mean, though? I mean, it says, My God, why have you forsaken me? What does the word forsaken actually mean? To leave behind in some place, let remain over, or in a bad sense, to desert. So, if you look at the way the word itself is used, it has a lot of different applications. And there's a lot of words that, that fall into that category. And when we say, it, you know, you don't see God forsaking, deserting Jesus. But he did leave him to the work he had to do. And I think that is what is happening here. Jesus was left to bear a burden that he had to bear entirely by himself. That's what it means, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and Jesus is crying out in this, in this deep, deep anguish. Um, as a matter of fact, let's go to verse 2, Psalm 22, verse 2, because there's, 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 a, there's an, an anguish built on top of that forsaking. Verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. So you're thinking, well, th- that sounds awful. 
It does. What what is what is Jesus really saying? What is he asking? Well, and before I answer that, let, let's just talk about the day and by night because we're saying okay. that Psalm 22 is a very clear picture of Jesus on the cross. Now, he's on the cross for 6 hours. Okay. Okay, he goes he, he's hung on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon he dies. And it says I cry by day and by night and I have no rest. And yet you say, well, okay, by day and by night. Well, how can that be? But that actually happened. Because while he's on the cross, as a matter of fact, read Mark 15, uh, the next verse that's right, right there, Mark 15, 33, I think it's 15, 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So he's literally there during daytime and during nighttime. Even though it's during the day, it says darkness came over the whole land. So the psalm is, literally comes to a fulfillment even in that particular part of the, 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 the circumstance. Now, now let's go, before we get to answering that question, Psalm 88, verses 1 to 4, because again, this is another crying out in anguish to God that helps to reflect on what Jesus was experiencing. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. So we're visiting in, and you know, today is Resurrection Sunday, and we're visiting in on Jesus in anguish, in pain at the very end of his life. And really, when you think about that, you've got to say, well, why does anybody go through that? loves us that's the answer and and, and the, the the cries of jesus were for that immediate deliverance my god my god why hast thou forsaken me he's wanting to be immediately delivered as, as a human being just in torture god would ultimately deliver him and that's the situation that's the circumstance that we're going to get to soon this is christian questions i'm kathy sitting in for jonathan here with rick today we are discussing jesus lives The full weight of sin and hopelessness was laid upon Jesus. How did he react? That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today is Jesus Lives. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. 
We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now, and our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And Kathy, this morning to uh, celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we're going through this 22nd Psalm, which is a prophecy of the crucifixion, resurrection, and what happens afterwards. So Jesus is on the cross. He has voluntarily put himself in a position of pain and suffering for the price that needed to be paid as a result of Adam's sin required a life for a life to fulfill the law. Here he was suffering, suffering mercilessly for hours. At such a time, most of us would break. We would yield our defenses, question all that we stood for, and beg for mercy at any price. But not Jesus. Not the one who came to buy us from the tyranny of sin and the cruelty of death. Jesus hung there in devotion to his Father, and he hung there in devotion to his cause. He knew the why, and he knew the how of his dilemma, and he stayed firmly entrenched in his mission. How do we know this? We know by the things he did while on the cross, and we'll touch on some of those shortly. And we know because Psalm 22 gives us insight into his mind. Verses 3 and to 5. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in our fathers trusted, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Now this reveals faithfulness through very deep, deep adversity. Jesus was in the place of sinners at the time he was surrounded, and at that time he was surrounded by them. His whole final experience beginning with Gethsemane was a marathon of singular focus and personal devotion as he navigated through the tumultuous waters of unrest and anger from his enemies and ignorance and immaturity from his friends. What was his final resolve? It was to honor his father's will. Matthew 26, verses 40 through 44. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something, Sunday's coming. All does indeed look bleak. Jesus has been abandoned by his friends, left alone to bear the weight of sin by his father, and in the heartless hands of those who would pour shame on top of cruelty. Through all of this, Jesus is firm as he is there to see that the judgment of God is honored and complete. 
Psalm 22 reveals a hidden message of hope where none seems possible. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. How does a worm bring hope? (laughs) From the Hebrew lexicon, the worm. When the female of the scarlet worm species was ready to give birth to her young, she would attach her body to the trunk of a tree, fixing herself so firmly and permanently that she would never leave again. The eggs deposited beneath her body were thus protected until the larvae were hatched and able to enter their own life cycle. As the mother died, the crimson fluid stained her body and the surrounding wood. From the dead bodies of such female scarlet worms, the commercial scarlet dyes of antiquity were extracted. What a picture this gives of Christ dying on the tree, shedding his precious blood, that he might bring many sons unto glory, as is shown in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. So to the casual onlooker of that day, Jesus was just another criminal, suffering at the hands of those who exact vengeance for crossing them, and his life looked to be of no value, just as the life of a lowly worm. The reality, though, was different. Jesus' appearance was being covered in blood and dying. Jesus' purpose was to die in order to give life. Both of these things were reflections of the value of this worm. Hope was present. All was not lost. A crown of thorns placed on his head. He knew that he would soon be dead. He said, did you forget me, Father, did you? They nailed him to a wooden cross Soon all the world would feel the loss Of Christ the King before us Hallelujah 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 If you have any questions on our subject, call us or write us at christianquestions.com or go to our Facebook or email us at rick at christianquestions.com. I think you also read smoke signals. (laughs) Sure, anything. (laughs) Back to the psalm. We can see that the first portion of Psalm 22 showed us prophetically how the necessary judgment of God had to fall upon Jesus. It had to happen that way. Because sin was so harsh and inherently hurtful, it follows that Jesus would need to absorb its full impact. So, as we go through the next portion of the, uh, of the psalm, it's going to go through some of the harshness of sin. So, segment two of the psalm is what? The cruelty of man their verbal abuse of Jesus. So now, as we get into that, we've got the judgment of God that was already expressed, and now the psalm describes how Jesus was treated uh, was treated on the cross. Psalm 22, let's go through verses 7 through 13. 
All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when my mother upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. There's a lot of nasty things in those verses. Um, there, there's, there's three groups of people that are verbally abusing Jesus. Three three different groups. The the general Jewish public was one, the religious leaders, and then the thieves who were being crucified with him. The soldiers we're going to talk about in in a little while. We'll get to them uh, shortly. But um, so let's go through the abuse of these three different groups and just see how how it all uh, comes together. Uh, Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, uh, 39 to 44. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So you have a, a very significant, um, just just you know, just beat, beat the guy down verbally because there's nothing he can do. And everybody, it's now time, everybody can now laugh at him. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're laughing. Continue. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words.
so we have seen the 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 insults the crowds were throwing at Jesus. What's Jesus' reaction to those insults of the crowds? We 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 don't hear anything in in for in, in in the actual scene of the cross, but in First Peter two verses twenty two and twenty three, it tells us how Jesus reacted to these things. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So it says Jesus reacted to the crowds with silence. Absolute silence. He does not beg them for mercy. He doesn't lash out at them or belittle them or appeal to them in any way. The things he was being accused of were false. And those revilers who passed by did so with insult on their tongues and malice in their hearts. Jesus saw them. Jesus heard them, and Jesus loved them, for they themselves were the prize that his death would ultimately win. And, and I think, Kathy, that is an incredibly powerful thought, that those people who were there insulting, just the average person, they're the ones he died for. That's amazing to me. A, a quote that I found from one of my favorite Bible commentators said that Jesus tasted the depths of poverty for us that we, through his poverty, might be rich. And it reminds me, too, of the scripture in Deuteronomy 21:23, that not only all of this, but anyone that hangs on a tree is thought cursed of God. Right, right. So he was also, you know, he carried that weight. And I love how, you know, the, God must have felt so helpless up there, and yet he caused that darkness to come to the earth as his... His way of showing his deep anguish, too. And he's watching all of this unfold. And it's, it, it is a very dark, dark time that is necessary for the light to shine later. You have to have the darkness before you have the light. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan, here with Rick. Today we're discussing Jesus Lives. Coming up... Did Jesus promise retribution and vengeance to the ambassadors of Satan? Find out next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today is Jesus Lives. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And, uh, folks, if you do want to make a comment, we're not going to take calls on the air, but if you would like to call in, you can speak with our screener, and we'll see if we can get your comments uh, on the air with us. Uh, we do love hearing from you. So, so, Kathy, in the last segment, we saw the reaction, Jesus' reaction to the crowds. Remember, he reacted with silence. Did. To all of the insults. Now let's look at Jesus' reaction to the thieves that were hanging on the cross with him, on the crosses with him on either side. Luke 23, 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you, 
Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You know, the true character of a person is revealed in those moments when stress and strain are so high that our protective resistance is low. One thief shows character and conscience. How does Jesus respond to that? Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus shows love, compassion, and promise. While under the weight of sin, pain, and imminent death, Jesus' true character is a shining example of what full payment for the ransom of Adam and all humanity looks like. He just shows us by what he does and who he is. Who he is comes out because in situations like this, there's no, there's no way around who you are. It, it just comes out. Let's go back to Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening, tearing, and a roaring lion. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's bright, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has come, and Satan's just a laughing. Sounds pretty ominous. It sounds completely ominous. In in the verse you read, Kathy, in verse twelve, it talks about the strong bulls of Bashan. What it, what is that all about? The country of Bashan embraced the territory which was on the east of the Jordan, north of Gilead, which was given to the half tribe of Manasseh. It was distinguished as pasture land for its richness. Its trees and its breed of cattle are frequently referred to in the scriptures. Rams of the breed of Bashan are mentioned in Isaiah and Zechariah. Oaks of Bashan are mentioned in connection with the cedars of Lebanon. And in Amos, the kind of Bashan are mentioned. The bulls of Bashan are here alluded to as remarkable for their size, their strength, and their fierceness, and are designed to represent men that were fierce Savage and violent. So these were very, very exceptionally uh, fierce animals in, in this particular part of the country. And so these, these strong bulls of Bashan represent the Pharisees. And that's saying a mouthful there. That's saying something. Jesus' reaction to them while on the cross was a stunning silence. Just like his reaction to the crowds. And you wonder, well, how come Jesus didn't say anything to them? Because they're there and they're mocking him as well. I mean, they're throwing the insults right at him, just like everybody else. And I think the answer is that Jesus had already answered them. 
He had answered them the night before. Let, let's go back to the night before just for a few minutes here. Matthew 26, 49 to 56. And th- this is a marvelous account of the, the substance of Jesus. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Luke 22:51. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So Jesus right there heals his enemy. His enemy, he heals him. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? So Jesus met his merciless and vile, this merciless and vile apprehension with love. His healing and the willingness to go through whatever the Father had set before him. He would not turn from his mission. Let's continue with the Matthew verses. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So the night before, Jesus gave his answers to the Pharisees. I'll come quietly. I am who I am. I'm healing those, those, those who are with you who are enemies of mine. Th- this was the answer. So he had no need to talk to them while on the cross. They could say what they want. They could do what they want. He already showed them who he was. And he didn't um, pr- promise vengeance and retribution. Right, right. right. The ravening lion reference that you read from Psalm 22 was to their devilish activities as the ambassadors of Satan himself. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you can stay connected to Rick and Jonathan at ChristianQuestions.com no matter the day or the time. He hung his head and prepared to die, then lifted his face up to the sky, said, I am coming home now, Father, to you. A reed which held his final sip was gently lifted to his lips. He drank. break a man, you attack him on all fronts. Satan is the author of breaking of one's will, and the experiences of Jesus had Satan's fingerprints 
all over them. Let us not underestimate the power of words, especially the power of words meant to cut and destroy. And let us also not underestimate the power of love, love for God, love for your fellow man, and love for your purpose. Jesus loved so deeply that the verbal abuses hurled at him could not penetrate deeply enough to derail him. He truly did overcome. Now we move into the next and fortunately last kind of abuse that Jesus endured. So this is the third segment of Psalm 22. And what is that, Kathy? The cruelty of man, their physical abuse of Jesus. In Psalm 22, verses 14 to 21, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you may help, hasten to my assistance, deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. Folks, remember, this describing crucifixion in detail, this is, this psalm is describing crucifixion in detail 500 years before crucifixion would be invented, 900 years before the Romans began to use it, and 1,000 years before Jesus would be crucified. This was not a Jewish method of capital punishment. That was stoning. The psalmist is describing something entirely foreign to the Jews in this prophetic psalm. In view of this, let's examine the description of the crucifixion given here. So, so it, this is, is remarkable to see such a graphic description of something that hadn't even been invented. That shows you how God's foresight understood what was going to happen. So we're going to touch on just a couple of, of aspects of, of Psalm twenty two fourteen here, Kathy. I am poured out like water. That, that's complete and utter exhaustion. So, uh, 2 Samuel fourteen fourteen. For we will surely die and are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. So water spilled out on the ground, it can't be gathered up. All my bones are out of joint. This is a complete disarray of the human form. Psalm 6-2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands God, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. You know, Kathy, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about Sunday. I can't wait for Sunday. <laughs> so, and, and I love that depiction of it's Friday. And, and when you look at the darkness of sin and death and, the, and what we're surrounded with now, it's kind of like it's still Friday. Yes. But Sunday is coming. 
And the 22nd Psalm gives us a graphic picture of what it looked like on Friday, the darkness, the harshness, the cruelty, the the pain and the suffering. We're going to deal with some of that in, in, in the second hour. But then it also gives us the glory of what the resurrection means. And I think the thread through the whole thing, though, is the love with which the whole thing was planned and purposed from God from the beginning and Jesus, his son, in carrying out his father's will. And he had to, Jesus had to be willing to go through a very, very, very difficult series of events. And, you know, we look at the, we look at the crucifixion. Uh, and we, we always focus on that in the night before. And those are, those are horrible, horrible things. But you think about the three and a half years of ministry and the self-sacrifice and the, the self-denial and the healing and all of the work that had to be done to prepare for, the, for that moment, for that moment of crucifixion and then the eventual resurrection. Just, it's, it's an amazing story of glory and victory is what it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy is speechless. We've finally done it. <laughs> well, I think about the pouring out. And when you pour out a pitcher, you know, it doesn't just all plop out in an instant. Right. It is. It does take time until it's finally emptied. And if we are to be footstep followers of Jesus, there's a lesson for us in the pouring out of our own lives. Now, we obviously can't do what Jesus did, but to follow him, we have to pour our own lives out on a regular and on a consistent basis so that what we give is the, the, the essence of our very life because that's what Jesus gave. It was the essence of his very life. And Psalm 22 is a remarkable unbelievable prophecy that clearly dictates what happened to Jesus then and what was going to happen after and then what's going to happen even later on and we'll get to that in the second hour. For Kathy and Rick and Christian Questions, we're talking about Resurrection Sunday, Psalm 22 and the amazing story of Jesus' death, resurrection and all that happens after. If we're not on in your area for the next hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live. We'll be back after the news and all that but till then, Jesus lives. We'll be back soon. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Robert Green Ingersoll once said, When the will defies fear, when duty throws the gauntlet down to fate, when honor scorns the compromise to compromise with death, that is heroism. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions. Talk radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. Sitting in for Jonathan this morning is Kathy. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And, and Kathy, this morning it's about Jesus dying and resurrection as today is Resurrection Sunday. It is. Jesus lives. And our theme text is from Job 19, verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. 
So, folks, we are going through the story. Uh, if you'd like to contribute to our program, you can certainly call us at 866-985-4255. Uh, we're not going to take on-air calls, but you can certainly t- speak with our screener. We'll see if we can get your comments into this story. In the first hour, Kathy, we began talking about Psalm 22. We Today we tell you folks the story of the victory of Jesus over sin, death, and Satan. We tell you this story through the writings of a prophecy from about a thousand years earlier, Psalm 22. In the first hour, we saw the necessary judgment of God that Jesus was willing, willingly took upon himself. We saw him single-handedly bear the full weight of the sin of the world. We saw him absorb the fiery darts of insult and ignominy by all classes of people around him. And we began to see him experience the physical abuses of the scourging and the cross itself. And that's where we pick up. We pick up in Psalm 22 in the midst of these final experiences as he lovingly bore it all to be our ransom. So we're in the middle of that physical abuse part of Psalm 22. Uh, Kath, let's go through some of those phrases. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Literally, his heart was without strength and literally giving away. Uh, Psalm 68, 2. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. His heart was like wax. Next part. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. What's a potsherd? It is a fragment of a broken pot or a piece of earthenware. The meaning here is that his strength was not vigorous like a green tree that was growing and that was full of sap, but it was like a brittle piece of earthenware, so dry and fragile that it could be easily crumbled to pieces. And Isaiah 45, 9 gives us a sense of that. Woe to one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. So the... Jesus is is just he's his heart is like wax his strength is dried up there's just he's he's fading away the next part of the psalm and my tongue cleaves to my jaw and that's a symptom of overwhelming thirst and dehydration let's look at Ezekiel 3:25 to 27 and you o son of man surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So uh, a scriptural reference to this tongue cleaving to the roof of your mouth. But here, the interesting thing, Kathy, is that even though Jesus is unable to speak, uh, the message uh, is, is, already, is, is not only been given by his life, but the message is literally posted on the cross of who he is. John nineteen nineteen to 20. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. 
questions a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way to get a copy of today's program go to christianquestions.com and sign up for christian questions rewind it's a totally free service all right once again at christianquestions.com so we're now getting to the point in the psalm where it's finished here and in the next part of the verse is you lay me into the dust of death and this is the only possible end of this experience and reminds us of Genesis 3.19 by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return so it gives you the sense that this is the, the wages of sin is death Jesus bore sin and therefore had to die Psalm 22.16 for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. So now here, the focus is on those outside of God's favor, the Gentile soldiers. And, and again, you know, the idea of dogs, Gentiles were considered, looked at as dogs in, in, in Jewish uh, um, tradition at that time. J- just a couple of comments uh, from uh, one of the commentators on dogs of those times. These hunted eastern towns and villages in savage and cowardly packs Fit emblems of the psalmist's fierce and yet contemptible foes, they pierce my hands and my feet. The dogs snap at the exposed parts of those whom they attack. They fly at his hands and feet and maim them. So, and again, when, when you look at dogs in Scripture in the New Testament, it's Gentiles. Uh, Matthew 7, 6. <laughs> you didn't look very. That's not a, a, a nice picture that we painted there, is it? No. No, it is. And, and you know that's the sense of the cross. It was a horrible, horrible circumstance. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And then the next part of the verse is, they pierced my hands and my feet. And again, that is a really dramatic, dramatic uh, um, description. Zechariah 12.10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And, you know, as, as we go through this, um, we're going to go back to uh, the, the uh, another soundbite from Nicole Nordman. And this verse of the song, this is, you know, it's about a little girl and her father and she sees Jesus on the cross. This verse of that particular song is God speaking to Jesus on the cross. It's kind of imagining what God would be saying. My brother. 
17 of Psalm 22, I can count all my bones, they look and they stare at me. And, and just just a, a quick comment from one of the commentators, I can count all my bones. Like most victims of crucif- that were crucified by Rome, it's likely that Jesus was naked. All his bones were visible and all his bones were out of joint and they would have been prominent. But in fulfillment of another psalm, Psalm 34:20, none of his bones were broken. Thus when the soldiers came to break the legs of the victims to bring about a quicker death, as the victim wasn't then able to push themselves up to breathe, they found that Jesus had already died and didn't break his legs. Psalm 22, let's go to verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is a remarkable prophecy. John 19, 23 and 24 gives us a clear, clear, clear fulfillment. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So in the midst of those who would crucify for sport, there was one soldier who saw through it all and saw Jesus for who he really was. And you know that, 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 that one soldier made a tremendous difference when you look at the, the, the uh, evidence of what happens on the cross. Even in the torment of death, Jesus witnessed to the glory of God. The soldier who had used his sword to pierce the body of our Lord said truly this was Jesus Christ our Savior. He looked with fear upon his sword then turned to face his Christ the Lord fell to his knees
Psalm 22, Kathy, verses 19 to 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. So in spite of the vile words, in spite of the evil actions and the unjust torture, Jesus sees past it all and claims the mercy, justice, and compassion of God upon his life. And this is an amazing thing because in this psalm, you think that, or in, in the circumstance of the crucifixion, rather, you think that it's so horrible and harsh and painful, and yet Jesus, according to the psalm, always goes back to Christ, God, back to God, back to God, back to God. And I love in verse 20 where it says, Deliver my soul from the sword. And we know from multiple scriptures in the New Testament, one of which is Acts 5.31, that God not only delivered him, but he highly exalted him and put him at his right hand to be a prince and a savior. So that gives us a sense, a true sense of the real value of Jesus. And Psalm 22 tells us a thousand years before it happened how it was going to happen, what was going to happen, why it was going to happen. It just is an amazing evidence of the inspiration of Scripture. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing Jesus Lives. Coming up, Jesus' victory secured his own resurrection, but who else? Stay with us. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today is Jesus Lives. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And again, folks, we're not taking calls on the air, but if you do call in, you can speak with our screener. We'll see if we can get your thoughts uh, into uh, our telling of the story. We have walked through the difficult text of Psalm 22 thus far. We have seen God's necessary judgment carried out upon and through Jesus as the bearer of the sin of Adam and therefore the inherited sin of the world. Through that burden, the psalm tells us that Jesus honored God. We have seen the depths of ridicule and insults that were thrown at him, all based on false accusations. Through that degrading, the psalm tells us that Jesus absorbed it and continued to honor God. We have seen the horror of crucifixion piled on top of the horror of scourging. The psalm again tells us that Jesus bore the extremity of this pain and suffering in order to honor God. Took from his head the thorny crown and wrapped him in a linen gown and laid him down to rest inside the tomb. The holes in his hands, his feet aside, now in our hearts we know he died to save us from ourselves. Hallelujah. 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 
So what do we have? We have a remarkable psalm written a thousand years before Jesus, graphically describing not only his physical, mental, and spiritual trials, but also graphically describing his victory, his unequivocal, unmistakable, irreversible victory over all of these things, all to the praise and honor of God. Where does the psalm bring us next? It tells us of the two phases of blessing that arise as a result of this victory. And what are the two phases, Kathy? The first phase is the resulting blessing to all of the chosen. And Psalm 22, verses 22 through 26 say, I will tell you of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, Glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Boy, the mood has dramatically changed. What remains from the early part of the psalm? Well, first of all, all of the anguish, sorrow, and pain are gone. They're but a memory, and all that is left is the same firm commitment to honor God that the psalm began with. It was there at the beginning, it was there in the middle, and it's there at the end. So where does Jesus go to deliver this honor given to God? Well, again, let's go back over verses 22 to 23. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. So the, the, this, Jesus is giving honor to God, and he goes first to a very specific group of individuals. And the Apostle Paul makes a clear link to Jesus and his followers by quoting Psalm 22. So we know this is the followers of Jesus because the Apostle Paul essentially tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. For it became him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus is, is set, and he is, he's faithful. He's done what he is supposed to do. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. So it brings the church, the true followers of Christ, right into the picture. And the, 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 the psalm is telling us that we have this, this, this place of privilege to be the first to be shown the honor of what happens on the cross. That's an amazing thing. The ground
death, where is your sting? Done, finished, over. He just puts puts things in such a great, great, great position. And now Jesus is in position to give the honor and praise, and he's spreading it, and he goes to his followers first. And again, here is what the message of the praise is. Psalm, again, 22, verse 24. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. Now, Kathy, this sounds kind of odd because it sounds like it contradicts the beginning of the psalm. Yes. Because remember, Psalm. read Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2 again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day. But you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. So in the beginning of the psalm, it's saying there's not an answer. And here it's saying, well, there is an answer to to that cry in affliction. So it's not a contradiction because the psalm always acknowledges that God is holy and will answer. It's acknowledged throughout the entire psalm. The difference is that early in the psalm, it was a cry for immediate deliverance. It was a cry for the deliverance from that immediate pain. And here it's showing toward the end of the psalm, it's a rejoicing for the ultimate deliverance, the big picture, and, and it gives us a sense of, of how big the plan of God is. God lets pain and suffering happen for a short time in circumstances because it's for the ultimate good, the eternal good. And again, it reminds us of Psalm 22. Let's go to verse 3. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. So recognition of such deliverance provokes faith and action on the part of those who are blessed. And those who are blessed are you and I, and those of us who are trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ. So again, Psalm 22, let's go to verse 25 and 26. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the blind say I can see. What a Lord has done in me. say that we are strong because of the sacrifice and the faithfulness of Jesus. And, and again, Kathy, let's, let's go back to the lessons from the, the, the Passover that we were talking about on this program last, last Sunday, how the firstborn were delivered. Who did the firstborn in the deliverance of the Passover represent? Hebrews twelve twenty two to 24 tells us the answer. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than that of Abel. So who are the firstborn uh, in the Passover? Uh, remember, they were delivered by the blood. Who do they represent? Us, the church now. The true followers of Christ. So when you see the picture of the Passover and you see the, dr- the drama of the deliverance of the firstborn, and remember the rest of the Israel was delivered because the firstborn were delivered. Right. And then you see in the New Testament how the apostle says, we are the prospective church of the firstborn. And then you see in the 22nd Psalm how when Jesus has proven faithful through all of that horrible, horrible, horrible trial and then you see him delivering these words of hope to the same ones it all comes together and and folks you see the magnitude of what the sacrifice of jesus did it was an incredible offering given once for all time and it was given so that all mankind would have opportunity but especially for those who were faithful especially for those who are faithful. And, and, and that's what we want to just, for these last couple of minutes of this segment, focus on. So here we are. Those who are trying to be faithful, still in the fallen fleshly condition, and yet we have been delivered. This means that even when we fall, we can get back up, dust ourselves off, and courageously move forward. John sixteen thirty one to 33. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone? And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is forewarning us, and those words are spoken before his crucifixion. He's forewarning us that you're going to have trouble, you're going to have difficulty, but don't sweat it. Get up, go on, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. What ends up happening to the followers of Jesus? Where do they end up if they remain faithful? What's the end result for those who follow? Well, again, before Jesus' crucifixion, he laid that out as well in John 14, to 3 let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, so Kathy, we've got about a minute here. When we look back over Psalm 22, I mean... Up to this point, sum it up for me, just from, from, from your heart. What is it that you, you've seen and felt to get to this point? To me, it's, it's a beautiful psalm of the mind of Christ. It's his perspective. It's what he went through, the anguish of knowing, did I do it all? Did I do it right? Is this enough? The pain he endured, the loneliness of, of being accursed on a tree of God, and and then the love that that prompted him and how it was all for others. There's no mention in this psalm of him going to heaven and being with God and being exalted. There's nothing about him. It's all his humility and love and devotion. And, you know, and, 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 and 
he brings us into the picture. But, you know, I'm reminded of those infomercials. You know, they say, look, all this for 19.99, but wait, there's more. <gasps> well, more. well, in the 22nd Psalm, in the life of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, there is more. There is much, much more than even this. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing Jesus Lives. Coming up, what happens to everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus? Should we fear for them? Stay tuned. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today is Jesus Lives. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. So here we are now at the final phase of Psalm 22. We have seen a dramatic prophetic picture unfold. It began with the world hanging in the balance as Jesus bore the weight of the ransom price and endured all manner of contradictions of sinners against himself. It began with every piece of outside input designed to crush the Savior at every level of his existence. It began with darkness prevailing and the only hint of light being in the very heart and soul of Jesus himself. It began with devotion, determination, and the discipline of Jesus. Of course, that was Friday. It was only Friday. We knew that Sunday was coming. This prophecy exploded into victory. It exploded with such a force that the powers of darkness were eternally wounded and will at the proper time in the near future be utterly vanquished. How do we know this? Let's look at the end of this prophecy. We go on to the final segment of Psalm 22. What is it? The resulting blessing to all of the rest of mankind. Psalms 22, verses 27 through 31. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperity prosperous of the earth will eat and worship all those who go down to the dust will bow before him even he who cannot keep his soul alive posterity will serve him it will be told of the lord to the coming generations they will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it all right, so now let's break those verses down into, into smaller sections. Let's go reread 27 and 28. 
all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is you, is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. See, there is an unmistakable inclusiveness in these verses. Just as in the Passover that we talked about a few minutes ago, the firstborn were delivered from death by the blood of the Lamb, and then the next day, the rest of the people... All of the people were delivered from bondage. There are many prophecies that verify this. We're just going to go with a short list of a few one-liners here, all from the Psalms. First, Psalm 2.8. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. The nations, the very ends of the earth, Psalm uh, 72.8. May he also rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Psalm 86.9. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Psalm 98.3 He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So these prophecies, all of them, I just give you all nations, so many prophecies, so much hope. How did that, how did so much hope come to be? So it's not just words that I proclaim, for my words put the D word, and D word has a name, hope has a name, joy has a name, peace has a name, love has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ, praise his name forever. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and you've got to sign up for the Christian Questions app for your smartphone. That's right. Get the app. It's a free service. Seek your review on the full edition. It's a free service available at ChristianQuestions.com. Hope has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to. Hope has a name. So, Kathy, let's go back to Psalm 22 and let's begin to wrap this whole picture up. This is a glorious ending to a very traumatic experience. Psalm 22, verses 29 and 30. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive Posterity will serve him. 
It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. So now let's go further into some other prophecies. We went through some one-liner prophecies. Let's go into some other prophecies that unequivocally verify the conclusion, this glorious conclusion of Psalm 22. Daniel 2.44 And in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall the sovereignty thereof be left to another people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. There is a very specific context being set out here in Daniel. We have those kings. Well, what kings? Well, the kings of the earth. We have the God of heaven setting up an indestructible kingdom that breaks the previous kingdoms into pieces. So it must be, again, here on earth earth. Jesus actually taught us to pray for this in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Think about how much sense this makes. Jesus died for Adam and therefore for us. And that means he came to restore what was lost. What was lost? A perfect earth. Colossians 1, 18 to 20. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So, so let's notice the elements here. We have Jesus and the church, his called out ones. Then it says in the Colossian scripture that God through Jesus and his sacrifice reconciled and made peace with all all things. This is much more than the true church. The blood of the cross is about much more than me. It's about us. It's about all of us. Acts 3, 20 and 21. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. God, through Jesus, is not only reconciling all things to himself, he is restoring all things. And when you restore something, you return it to its former state. Peter, here in Acts, says that the prophets spoke of this restoration. Well, what did they say? What was the restoration about? Let's just look at a few of those prophecies. Isaiah 51.3 For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord, Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. So the message of Psalm 22 is just this. The, perfect, the perfection of Eden was lost. And Isaiah is saying that the waste places of the earth will look like it. See, redemption brings restitution. Restitution brings gladness, thanksgiving, and song. How do we know? Again, the prophecies always tell us the answers. Kathy, let's go to Micah chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the, Lord, and to the, house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See now, folks, these are specifics about the future earth. Many nations, they will all be seeking after God, which indicates that they must go through a learning curve, because they're pretty far from that now. <laughs> they will walk in godly paths with Israel as their example. Let's go back to Micah, Kathy. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This prophecy is telling us God will teach the world the ways of peace. Swords to plowshares, spears to pruning hooks, no more war. Rather, they will all dwell in peace, each with the ability to provide for themselves all while living under God. This is the direct result of the sacrifice of the cross, the ransom payment for Adam and his sin. This is the way God intended for the world to be. This is the message of Psalm 22. This is what Psalm 22 is really, truly, bottom line, all about. You can't get away from it. It is a very clear-cut picture of the suffering and the ignominy and the, and, and the anguish and the death of the cross and then the result, first to the true followers of Christ, then to the rest of the world. Let's finish the psalm, Kathy, because there's one last dramatic piece to this psalm that I just think it's, it's marvelous. The last verse of Psalm 22. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. Okay, so that doesn't sound really that dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) However, regarding the very last statement of the psalm, the very last statement that he has performed it uh, in in other versions is that he has done this. One of the commentators, just the connection they make is startling here. Regarding the very last statement of the psalm, um, Spurgeon says that he hath done this or that it is finished. Salvation's glorious work is done. There is peace on earth and glory in the highest. It is finished. These were the expiring words of the Lord Jesus. As they are the last words of this psalm, may we by living faith be enabled to see our salvation finished by the death of Jesus. So the very last words of the psalm essentially are it is finished. The last words of Jesus life are it is finished. And when Jesus says that as he starts my God my God why hast thou forsaken him he starts with the first verse of Psalm 22 and then he ends his life with the last words of Psalm 22. What he's doing is he's giving honor and praise to God Almighty because he's saying that God has put this in place I have done what I came to do, and it is to God's glory. It is finished. In other words, God's plan is now ready to be complete. What a marvelous, marvelous statement that really is. Folks, as we wrap this up, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. So we're going to listen one last time to such a moment. Three days went by, again they came. To move the stone, to bless the slain With oil and spice anointing Hallelujah But as they went to move the stone They saw that they were not alone Jesus Christ is risen
for Kathy and Rick and Christian Questions. Jesus lives. The psalm has been fulfilled. Glory to God and perfection to the world to come. Till next week, think about it. Oh, oh, oh.